Apple announces the iPhone 11 Pro, but does it really matter? Profoto to release a smartphone flash next week. $10 e-release firmware doubles the range of your pocket wizard triggers. An iconic photographer, Charlie Cole, dies. All of this on episode 36 of the Liam Photography Podcast. You're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Liam Douglas, and this is episode 36. I want to thank all my listeners again for subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes and anywhere else that you might be listening to the show, which also includes Radio.com. We want to thank the folks at Radio.com for adding this show to their library of podcasts. You can also join the Liam Photography Podcast Facebook group. I'll give you more information on that at the tail end of the show. So for anybody that might not know, this week was the fall keynote presentation by Apple in Cupertino, California. They had their keynote event on Tuesday of this week at the Steve Jobs uh, Arena, or uh, theater I guess it's called, uh, on their new campus, the Spaceship One campus in California. And one of the things they announced this week is the new iPhone 11. Now, they are making different versions of the iPhone 11. They're making a standard iPhone 11, which is a two-camera phone. But the big announcement on the part of Apple was the iPhone 11 Pro, which is a new three-camera model. Now, the iPhone 11 Pro will be available in gold, space gray, silver, and midnight green. It'll be available in both the iPhone 11 Pro Uh, 5.7-inch screen and a 6.5-inch iPhone Pro Max size. The available capacities for both models are 64 gigabytes, 256 gigabytes, and 512 gigabytes. So if you really need a lot of storage capacity for photos, video, and music, you might want to go with the 512 gigabyte model. Now, the size and weight for these phones, the regular iPhone 11 Pro, or the one that's the same size as the current iPhone XS, has a height of 5.67 inches, a width of 2.81 inches, and a depth of 0.32 inches. Total weight is 6.63 ounces, or 188 grams. The iPhone 11 Pro Max, has a height of 6.22 inches, a width of 3.06 inches, and a depth of 0.32 inches, and a total weight of 7.97 ounces, or 226 grams. Final display size is 5.8 inches and 6.5, as I mentioned a moment ago. Now, for the new iPhone 11, Apple has created what they call a new Super Retina XDR display. Uh, does HDR, it's an all-screen OLED multi-touch display. On the regular iPhone 11 Pro, it is 2436 by 1125 pixel resolution at 458 PPI. 
And on the 6.5 inch, it is 2688 by 1242 pixel resolution at five, uh, 458 PPI. Both models offer true tone display, wide color display P3, haptic touch, 800 nits max brightness, typical 1200 nits max brightness in HDR mode. They are fingerprint resistant, uh, have a fingerprint resistant coating and support for display of multiple languages and characters simultaneously. They are both splash, water, and dust resistant, rated at IP68, maximum depth of four meters for up to 30 minutes under IEC standard 605239. Now, both models do come with Apple's new A13 Bionic chip, which is a third generation neural engine. Now, here's where things get interesting on the cameras. So, both phones have a triple 12 megapixel with a combination of ultra-wide, wide, and telephoto cameras. The ultra-wide is an f2.4 aperture with a 120-degree field of view. The wide is f1.8 aperture, and the telephoto is f2.0 aperture. You have a 2 times optical zoom in and a 2 times optical zoom out and a digital zoom of up to 10 times. So this will be the first time on an iPhone, or any smartphone for that matter, that you will actually have the ability to have 4x optical zoom between the 2x zoom in and 2x zoom out for the ultra-wide. Portrait mode with advanced bokeh and depth control, portrait lighting with six effects, natural, studio, contour, stage, stage mono, and high-key mono is the new one that Apple has added. Dual optical image stabilization for wide and telephoto, five element lens, ultra wide, six element lens for the wide and telephoto. Brighter true tone flash with slow sync, panorama up to 63 megapixels, 100% focus pixels wide, night mode, which is a new mode that allows the iPhone to take photographs in extremely low light situations with reduced noise. And they both have auto adjustments, next generation smart HDR for photos, wide color capture for photos and live photos, advanced red eye correction, photo geotagging, auto image stabilization, burst mode, and image for formats captured, HEIF and JPEG. Now on the video recording side, you have 4K video recording at 24 frames per second, 30 frames per second, or 60. 1080p HD video recording at 30 or 60, 720 HD video recording at 30, extended dynamic range for video up to 60 frames per second, optical image stabilization for video for both the wide and telephoto cameras, two times optical zoom in, two times optical zoom out, digital zoom up to six times. You have audio zoom, brighter true tone flash, quick take video with subject tracking, Slow-mo video support for 1080p at 120 frames per second or 240 frames per second. Time-lapse video with stabilization. Cinematic video stabilization for 4K, 1080p, and 720p. Continuous autofocus video. Take 8 megapixel still photos while recording 4K video. Playback zoom. Video formats recorded HEVC and H.264 with stereo recording. Now the true depth camera is 12 meg megapixel camera at f2.2, portrait mode with advanced bokeh and depth control, 
the portrait lighting effects, uh, six effects that I mentioned earlier, uh, natural studio contour stage, stage mono and high key mono, and emoji and memoji capabilities. Now this is the front facing camera, of course. Uh, 4K video recording at 24, 30 or 60 frames a second, 1080p video recording at 30 or 60, slow-mo video support for 1080p at 120. Now this is the first time that an iPhone or any smartphone that I'm aware of gives you the ability to do slow motion video with the front facing camera. So you can take slow motion selfies and Apple did display, uh, they did run a little video ad uh, demonstrating it, which did look pretty cool. And now they uh, extended dynamic range for video at 30 frames per second, next generation smart HDR for photos, cinematic video stabilization for 4K, 1080, and 720p, wide color capture for photos and live photos, retina flash, auto image stabilization, and burst mode. The face ID is enabled by True Depth Camera for facial recognition, and the new camera on this new iPhone 11 Pro will allow you to do face ID recognition from greater angles and stuff like that to make it easier and faster to unlock your device. And of course, both phones uh, are compatible with the Apple Pay system and the new Apple credit card uh, that Apple has started recently. And the carriers are AT&T, Sprint, T-Mobile, and Verizon in the U.S. Now, for the location capabilities, built-in GPS and GNSS, digital compass, Wi-Fi, cellular, iBeacon micro location, video calling has FaceTime video calling over Wi-Fi or cellular, audio calling is FaceTime audio voice over LTE or VOL LTE, and Wi-Fi calling. Now, these phones are interesting. I do like the looks of them in a way. In some ways, they look kind of... Uh, I don't know, kind of clunky to me. I'm really not a big fan of the three camera design on the back. I understand that it has its purposes, and Apple is always trying to push the envelope with new technology and new features and capabilities for their customers, and I applaud them for that. But to be honest, after watching the keynote and looking over their videos and the specs for these phones, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a hard pass. I'm not interested in upgrading to the iPhone 11 Pro. Uh, I got the iPhone XS last year when it came out. I love that phone. I've got two lines on it, which is great. I have my personal line on line one. I have my Liam Photography business line on line two. And then I also have an iPhone XR, which has two lines on it, which have the phone numbers for my two podcast shows. And I'm perfectly happy with what I have, so I'm going to stick with it. Now, the big thing with Apple, with adding the third camera to the iPhone 11 Pro and Pro Max, is they're claiming that now they're getting closer to giving you professional photography capabilities um, on your smartphone. And I say BS on this. Don't get me wrong. The cameras do work nice. The video capabilities are really cool. I could see the iPhone 11 Pro and Pro Max being used by a lot of YouTubers for shooting YouTube videos, especially with the time-lapse capabilities and the slow motion and all that good stuff. They do record in 4K, which is great, uh, without any kind of cropping. But as far as these being a professional photographer's tool, I call BS on that. And I've been saying that for a long time, and so is my friend Jared Poland at Frodo's Photo. If you want true professional quality photos, you need professional equipment. That's all there is to it.
Now, I'm not saying that you have to have a top-of-the-line six $8,000 full-frame DSLR or mirrorless body to get pro results. Of course, any competent photographer can get pro results with almost any camera. And that brings up an interesting side note that I wanted to mention to my listeners real quick. Uh, years ago, I started following a YouTube channel based out of Hong Kong called Digital Rev or Digital Rev TV. And uh, there was a host for that show, Kai, uh, who's a fantastic guy. He's really funny. He's a Chinese guy with a British accent because he's originally from the UK. He's since left the show and he's doing his own thing back in the UK again. But they put out some high quality videos all the time on a weekly basis. And one of the series that they did was ProTog Cheap Camera. And it was basically challenging professional photographers to use the crappiest cameras they could find to get professional results. And they did it many times with many professional photographers. They had Zach Arias, who's a famous photographer for him from here in the Atlanta area. They had Chase Jarvis on there a couple of times, uh, David Hobby, and numerous other photographers. And they did a fantastic job using crappy cameras because they have many years of experience. They know how to do composition. They know how to, you know, they know how to do their lighting and all of that good stuff. They know what to look for. They have the eye of a professional photographer. But my point is with the iPhone 11 Pro, just because you put a upgraded three camera system in an iPhone or any smartphone for that matter does not automatically make the wielder of that phone a professional photographer. I still prefer to get my professional results with a professional camera body. Um, now I don't use crop bodies. You can do it with crop bodies. Plenty of pros do. I prefer full frame. I have Canon DSLRs and the Canon EOS R mirrorless, which I use every day for my full-time real estate work that I actually make a living at. But as far as these being pro-level cameras, I, I totally disagree. You can get great results with them, yes. In the right hands, the hands of a professional, somebody like Zach Arias or Chase Jarvis, yeah, you could get awesome results. But these phones will not make your average user a professional photographer. So let's not confuse that, people. And I, and I understand what Apple's trying to do, but it's a lot of marketing BS, and uh, that's all there is to it. Uh, now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that I don't like these phones, I don't like their capabilities, but they're not for me. I really don't care for the three camera setup. I know a lot of companies are going that route these days. Um, you even had that one light 16 camera that looked a lot like a thick smartphone um, that I think ended up being more of a gimmick camera than anything else. And the reason why it was called light 16 is it actually had 16 different cameras inside it and could supposedly give you professional results between all of those cameras. Now, there are some cool capabilities with the iPhone 11 Pro. You can use all three cameras simultaneously, and their, their smart algorithms and AI and all that stuff can combine the photos to give you the best possible details with the least amount of noise and low light situations and stuff like that, and, and that's great. But again, this phone is not going to make the average person a professional photographer. So I don't want people thinking that, and I don't want that being the takeaway uh, as I'm talking about this segment. But I did want to bring it to my listeners' attention because I know a lot of people are really into smartphone photography and especially videography. And it is great that Apple is always pushing the envelope and pushing the technology forward as well as other companies. But as I said a moment ago, this phone will not make you a professional photographer. 
Now, if you're interested in the iPhone 11 Pro, you can get one from $24.95 a month or $5.99 if you trade in your old iPhone. Um, you can also watch the keynote and watch the films about the iPhone 11 Pro, and I'll share a link to those in the show notes so that you can check them out for yourself. The iPhone 11 Pro and Pro Max will both be shipping on the 20th of September 2019. So you can go ahead and pre-order now. I will include the link to the website where you can pre-order in the show notes as well if you want to go ahead and place your order. Now, in the next segment, the next thing I want to talk about, which does look pretty cool, is Profoto to release a $300 smartphone flash next week. Now, this information is coming to me from Petapixel.com, which is a fantastic photography website blog. And I also love Sharky James' uh, podcast. I listen to him weekly. He's a great guy, and he's a lot of fun to listen to. So earlier this week, high-end lighting brand Profoto released a teaser for a new light that it claimed would forever change the world of photography. Don't get too excited, though. According to the most recent rumors, this game-changing, I'm saying this in air quotes, product is an expensive LED flash for smartphones. This information comes from photorumors.com, and as with all rumors, it should be taken with a grain of salt. However, PhotoRumors is reporting with some confidence that Profoto will be revealing not one, but two LED smartphone flashes, at least one of which will make its debut on September 18th. Two different models are expected, writes the rumor site. The price is rumored to be around $300 and $500. Looking at a screenshot from the video above, when the new product actually flashes, it does seem that Profoto is planning to release some sort of diminutive 6-LED flash. Now, I'm really hoping the pricing information is wrong, but if it's not, what do you think? Would you buy a $500 or even a $300 flash for your smartphone? Even if it promised exceptional color consistency and some really cool features, would you really be interested in spending that much money on an LED flash for your smartphone. Now, me personally, I would not. Um, I know Profoto is known for quality products, but I mean, let's be honest, if you need an LED flash or just an LED continuous light for video for your smartphone, you can go on Amazon, you can pick them up all day long for 15, 20 bucks that do the job fantastically. Uh, as a matter of fact, the newest one that I bought, uh, I think I paid like 15 or 20 bucks for a few weeks ago, and this one actually has a rechargeable battery pack, which is even better. My very first one was a Sun Pack, and it actually used AA batteries. But my newest one, you can actually plug it into a micro USB cable, and you can charge its internal rechargeable battery pack, which is fantastic. Uh, no more worrying about uh, your AA batteries dying or having to carry spare ones with you when you want to use it. Now, granted, I don't use it a lot, but it is handy to have when I absolutely need it. But there is absolutely no way I would spend $300 or $500 on a smartphone flash, especially if that's all it does is work with your smartphone. Now, if it's something more all-encompassing that you could use with your DSLR or mirrorless camera as well, that might be a little bit different, but it's still kind of a high price point if you ask me. Now, don't get me wrong, there are expensive flashes out there. Canon and Nikon have expensive speed lights. Uh, but you're getting a lot more bang for your buck, in my opinion. You have more flexibility, more capabilities with them. When they have a standard size flash head, you can put different diffusers on them. You can do all kinds of different things with them. So we'll have to wait and see how this one uh, fleshes out when it's actually released. Uh, there is a video about it that was really uh, that 
announces that it'll supposedly be changing the world of photography forever on September 18th. I'll include a link to the article and the video in the show notes so that you can check it out for yourself. Now, the third item I wanted to talk about this week is a $10 quote-unquote e-release firmware doubles the range of your Pocket Wizard triggers. Now, this I do find interesting. I do own some Pocket Wizards. Pocket Wizard has just released a major firmware upgrade for its plus three and plus four triggers with more models to come in the the future that you absolutely want to check out. It's called e-release and it more than doubles the working range and the number of channels that your Pocket Wizard radio trigger is capable of. E-release is a refreshing if odd announcement from a trigger manufacturer. Firmware updates for radio triggers aren't typically newsworthy if they are released at all. E-release bucks the trend by actually adding some serious functionality to Pocket Wizard's most popular triggers. E-release increases the range of the Pocket Wizard plus three and plus four triggers to a maximum of five miles in long range mode, doubles the number of available quad zone channels to 32 in regular use, and increases the number of quad zone channels to 80 in long range mode. As a bonus, Pocket Wizard also claims that the update helps triggers send and receive signals with greater reliability. You can see Vermont photographer Michael Heaney put the firmware to the test during some challenging photo shoots in the videos included, and I will include a link to the article and the Uh, the videos in the show notes. It does look exciting. The firmware update is available today for $10 on the Pocket Wizard website. However, the update is available for free to anyone who purchased a plus three or plus four from an authorized U.S. or Canadian retailer on or after September 1st, 2019. For now, e-release will only work with the FCC frequency Pocket Wizard plus three and plus four triggers, but the company says it will soon be available for more models. You can head on over to Pocket Wizard's website to learn more about this new firmware. Now, to me, this is definitely exciting. One of the biggest challenges with Pocket Triggers is the limited range and and capabilities. And Pocket Wizard is one of the best brands on the market. It's used by probably more working professionals than any other trigger system. And the fact that they're increasing the long-range modes distance is fantastic and the fact that they're doubling the number of available quad zone channels is also amazing. So I would definitely recommend checking this out especially if you have the Pocket Wizard 3 or 4 wireless triggers because this is probably going to help up your game and make your life a little bit easier when it comes to capturing fantastic images with your artificial lighting systems. I'm definitely going to check it out for mine and I will I will uh, talk about it a little bit more once I've had a chance to uh, install the firmware update and test it out on my Pocket Wizards. I'll talk about that in an upcoming episode. Now, the last item I wanted to touch upon this week in uh, segment four, Charlie Cole, photojournalist behind the iconic Tank Man photo, dies at age 64. It has been two weeks of constant loss in the photo industry. First, we lost Peter Lindbergh, then Robert Frank, and now Charlie Cole. The American photojournalist behind one of the four iconic Tank Man photos taken during the infamous 1989 Tiananmen Square protest in Beijing has also passed away. Cole was 64 years old. Cole was born in Bonham, Texas, the son of a U.S. Air Force chaplain. He grew up near Peterson Air Force Base in Colorado Springs, Colorado and studied photojournalism at the University of Texas in Denton. 
After graduation, he moved back to Colorado Springs, where he secured a full-time position at the Colorado Springs Sun newspaper before moving to Japan with fellow photographer Steve Gardner in 1980. Over the next decade, Gardner and Cole would successfully establish themselves as freelance photojournalists, forming relationships with major publications. This is how Cole, who had developed a relationship with Newsweek in the mid-80s, found himself in Beijing covering the pro-democracy student protests in Tiananmen Square in May of 1989. On Sunday, June 4th, after being roughed up by the Chinese secret police, he took shelter in the Beijing Hotel. Many publications had been bringing their photographers home as the protests seemed to be winding down, but Newsweek told Cole to stick around. The next day on Monday, June 5th, 1989, the uh, Tiananmen Square uh, tank man incident happened. Cole captured the 1990 World Press photo-winning image that would, be, would come to define his career when he was just 34 years old. Perched atop a balcony on one of the upper floors of the Beijing Hotel with a Nikon SLR and a 300mm lens, as he watched on, he believed that the man would certainly be killed and felt a duty to capture the moment for posterity. To my amazement, the lead tank stopped, recalled Cole, then tried to move around him. Knowing that the secret police would try to confiscate the image, he hid his undeveloped roll of film in the tank of his hotel room bathroom. When officials broke in to search the room, they didn't find the film, and Cole was able to send his photo to the Associated Press Bureau, where it was developed and transmitted to Newsweek. As it turned out, four other photographers managed to capture almost identical images from slightly different perspectives. AP photographer Jeff Widner Magnum photographer Stuart Franklin, and Reuters photographer Arthur Sang. As iconic as this photograph has become, both as a lasting document of a moment the Chinese government continues to try and erase from history, and as an enduring symbol of peaceful protest in the face of tyranny, Cole came to regret that the image had come to overshadow so much of his other imagery from the Tiananmen Square massacre. Jacques Leving, Peter, and David Turnley, Peter Charlesworth, Robert Moyer, David Berkowitz, Ray O'Hara, Alan Reininger, I might have pronounced that wrong, and Ken Jerky and a host of others contributed to the fuller historical record of what occurred during this tragedy, he told the New York Times in 2009. We should not be lured into a simplistic one-shot view of this amazingly complex event. In the same way, we hope that history will not boil Cole's personality down to into its own simplistic one-shot view. As today writes, he was more than a photojournalist behind one iconic image. He was a talented and self-effacing man, an aficionado of barbecue, bourbon, and the blues, with an encyclopedia of knowledge of the U.S. military, a man who ultimately laid credit for the Tank Man image at the feet of the Tank Man himself, telling the BBC in 2005, he made the image, I just took the picture. Cole passed away last week in Bali, where he lived for the past 15 years. So again, it is sad that we lost another great photojournalist. And uh, I do remember the Tiananmen Square incident uh, like it was yesterday, to be honest. I was uh, just graduating high school in those days. I was already in the Army. I had started out in the, the Federal Reserves and then left for active duty after I graduated. I went to uh, basic uh, what they called split ops. So I went to basic the summer before my senior year. So it is definitely sad to see that 
Peter or Charlie Cole. I'm sorry, not Peter. I got Peter on the brain because there was two or three Peters mentioned in the article as well. It was sad to see that Charlie passed away. And I do encourage everybody to check out the story on Petapixel. I'll include a link in the show notes and maybe take a time out and have a little moment of silent prayer for Charlie's family. Now, I was going to wrap it up with these four items, but there was one other item that caught my eye just a moment ago that I did want to touch on briefly. Now, this is also something coming from the Petapixel website. It's an article from September 12th. GoPro Hero 8 leak reveals quote-unquote media module for advanced accessories. Now, the German website WinFuture has secured a slew of leaked images and specifications for the upcoming GoPro Hero 8, which originally leaked last month. This latest report gives us a closer look at the new camera, as well as information about the quote-unquote media module GoPro will be using to attach some accessories. The original leak had lots of people excited after it seemed to show an external mic, external video light, and an external LCD screen would all be available for the GoPro Hero 8. This latest report reveals that all of those accessories will attach onto a so-called media module with two hot shoe slots, one on top and one on the side. The module itself has a microphone built in, which should make it possible to attach a video light, an LCD screen, and use a higher quality mic all at once. In addition to the new media module and the video light scene up top, WinFuture also learned that GoPro will be releasing a new floaty accessory that will keep the camera from sinking while adding a bit of additional padding. The camera will allegedly also feature a hinged mounting plate on the bottom that folds down when not in use. Beyond these changes, the leaked specs claim the GoPro Hero 8 will be similar to the Hero 7. It will be about the same size, use the same battery, and feature a 12-megapixel image sensor capable of 4K 60p. You'll also be able to record 1080 240p video, and HyperSmooth 2.0 technology will keep camera shape to a minimum. To learn more about the rumored camera and see the full set of leaked images, you can head on over to WinFuture's website, and I will include a link to that in the show notes for anybody that wants to check it out. Now, this to me is exciting, and I wanted to throw this in at the very tail end of the episode because I am a fan of the GoPro cameras. I have two of the Hero 3 Plus Silvers. I have two of the Hero 5 Black Editions and two of the Hero 7 Black Editions. I really love their cameras. They do a great job. But as many of you probably know, over the years, GoPro has kind of fallen by the wayside, uh, do some mismanagement of funding and stuff like that by the owner and CEO of the company. It's now worth a fraction of what it used to be worth. Um, and GoPro has been kind of languishing for the last few years. And there's been other companies that are taking a big chunk out of their pie. Um, after GoPro uh, dabbled in the drone world, which ended up being a complete disaster, DJI has now dabbled in the smartphone or smart camera world. Uh, or action camera world by coming out with their own action camera, which has even better image stabilization than the GoPro and sells for like $50 cheaper. Uh, DJI's camera is very similar in design to the GoPros and its capabilities are amazing based on videos that I've, video reviews I've seen of the camera by other photographers and YouTubers. So it is really cool that GoPro is trying to make themselves relevant again by adding some sort of new media module capability to the GoPro 
8. It'll be interesting to see what all you'll be able to do with this new module. And the big thing is how expensive are the accessories going to be. Uh, GoPro is not exactly known for making their accessories and um, additional items inexpensive. Uh, the battery packs are very expensive, as are their LCD screen attachments and so on and so forth. So it'll definitely be interesting to see how this plays out. And like I said, I wanted to throw it on the tail end of this episode just because it caught my eye as I was recording this episode, and I thought it sounded pretty cool. Uh, if it does turn out to be true, I'll probably be picking up a Hero 8 Black as well, just so I can try it out and check out the accessories. Uh, look for an upcoming review of that on the Liam Photography YouTube channel. Uh, I know I've been a little bit lax on getting YouTube videos done lately, but it's been extremely hard because for about a year there, I was working two full-time jobs and didn't have time for anything. And now that I'm just doing strictly the real estate and photography stuff, uh, I'm hoping to get a chance to shoot some more videos um, in the near future, but we'll have to see how it goes. All right, this is all I'm going to talk about on episode 36 of the Liam Photography Podcast for this week. I want to thank all my listeners again for subscribing, rating, and reviewing in iTunes and anywhere else that you listen to the show, which, as I mentioned at the top of the show, does include radio.com. And again, we want to thank those wonderful folks for adding this show to their library. I also want to encourage you to stop by and check out the Liam Photography Podcast Facebook group. You can join the group. It is a closed group, but you can join by answering one question, and that is, what is the name of the host of this show, which is myself, Liam, or you can put Liam Douglas. If you don't answer the question, you will not be allowed into the group. I do that to make sure the group consists of actual listeners of the show. Now, once you're a member of the group, you are allowed to upload five photos every 24 hours. They must be your own original work. You're not allowed to share other photographers' work, even with their permission. That will get you banned from the group. You can upload the photos one at a time throughout the course of a 24-hour period, or you can upload all five at once and let Facebook create its little slideshow for you. You can also ask for creative criticism on your photos just by posting in the photo post, CC please, and myself or one of the other photography members of the group will be happy to give you some tips and pointers on how you might be able to improve your photography. I want to go ahead and wrap up this episode 36 of the Liam Photography Podcast and say I will see you next week in episode 37.